One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty and a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about CanadaLand and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures. And it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support CanadaLand. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a CanadaLand supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com join. And thank you. Adia Rodrigue, researcher, speaker, writer. Welcome back to our studio here in Toronto. Oh, hello, Jesse. Hadia, today we are going to talk about media hit jobs. We got a couple of them to discuss today. They are all the rage, it seems, and uh, I'm going to argue that both Jody Wilson-Raybould and Andrew Shear are victims of them. Curious what you have to say. I think one person's a victim. <laughs> <laughs> Conservatives can be victims too. Uh, are you sure? We'll find out. Good okay. to have you here. This episode is brought to everybody by Eric Axon, Jeff Holden, August Murphy King, Sarah Howie, Jay Gluck, Robin Mullins, Everett Wilson, and Sarus Faravar. Hi, my name is Sarus Faravar. I live in Oakland, California. I support Canada Land because as an ignorant Californian, I really would love to know and I'm very curious about Canada. I've often told Jesse that I'm a Canada curious person. I have relatives in Canada. I have not spent as much time in Canada as I want to, but I love to support independent journalism, uh, especially I'm excited about the new season of Thunder Bay. And by the way, the Canada Land Sox are pretty awesome. Greetings from California. as the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. An unexpected fall from grace for the leader of the official opposition. 
Months after losing an election, many thought should have been won by the Conservatives, Andrew Scheer is throwing in the towel. Conservative leader Andrew Scheer stepped down today. Global News learned that the Conservative leader was going to resign just moments before it happened. Okay, Hadia, if you were getting your news last week from TV, that would be initially the big bombshell that you would hear. Um, And it it sounds very much like what one expects after a party leader uh, loses an election as disastrously as Andrew Scheer lost. A lot of people, there was a death watch for Scheer. There was a movement to get rid of Scheer. And now, yes, okay, he's stepping down and everyone's like, okay, you lost, but good job. And you wouldn't know necessarily by if you were just watching on TV that earlier on Twitter, Mercedes Stevenson of Global News tweeted, hashtag breaking, Global News has learned conservative leader Andrew Scheer is about to resign. And she continued amid a scandalous revelation that he's been using conservative party funds to pay for his kids' private Catholic school education. Very different picture than this, let's all clap for job well done, Andrew Scheer, instead like kind of resigning in disgrace for a misallocation of funds. What did you make of this when you first learned of this? Well, I thought it was odd that this would be the thing he's resigning for because he's done so many other terrible things. Um, You know, like cozying up with racists, having racists in your party, losing an election, like... I mean, I don't think it's a terrible thing that he lost the election, obviously, but his party probably thought it was a terrible thing that he lost the election. Yes. Of all those things, that's the thing that would be, you know, most understandable as the reason for his exit. And in a lot of positions and a lot of jobs, um, school for children is paid when someone has to relocate for said job. So if you are someone who is an immigrant working in, let's say, Hong Kong and your whole family moves to Hong Kong, then usually your company will pay for the school for your kids, and it's often in private school. And so for me, this seemed like a reasonable thing. For someone who's from Regina, transplanting their kids yes. to Ottawa, and who also happens to be like the head of the company, that to me, you know, the party paying for school actually seems like something that would be something that's done or something that's in their bylaws. And I think so that, yeah. it was a bit confusing as to why this was the thing that mm-hmm. was, was taking him down. I'm like, who cares? I don't care. But I guess they care. Well... I think that's a very smart, reasonable, level-headed interpretation because there was an emotional response that was the first response a lot of people had, especially people who are not endeared to Andrew Scheer, which is, why is this guy sending his kids to private school? He's supposed to be a very public guy, and and does he not want his kids to get, like, even if you're in the public Catholic school system, and we do have a public Catholic school system here in Ontario, your kid would have to get a lot of education on how LGBTQ, these are people too deserving of civil rights. In the private Catholic school system, maybe he's trying to inure his kids from that. And, you know, is that for such a public role he wanted as prime minister, what is this private interest? And there was an emotional response to like, and then the idea that he'd be corrupt in some way and taking this money, that I think was like a common emotional response, especially on people and progressives and such. But I think you're asking the right question, which is like, wait a second, moving expenses often cover stuff like this. And if you take it a step further, you got to ask yourself like, so what are you actually alleging here? Like, did Andrew Shear like, is there a cookie jar f- filled with money where he like took Reached a little in bit? and yeah, some? did no one know that he was doing, was this not negotiated? And, and it just, it was all a little bit too convenient, both in the way that it played into a trope of an anti Andrew Shear, even from yeah. conservatives, like he shouldn't be doing this. This is, the, you know, cause part of why the case for why he lost is like, we need a more modern conservative leader who will march in a pride parade. So this was all like kind of compatible with the anti Andrew Shear contingent. Well, but for but then, me, like, what actually went, happened here, you know? Rich people put their kids in private school all the time. Yes. So, A, 
He makes $260,000 a year, which puts him in the top 1% of Canadians. This is a thing that top 1% people do. And so that, for me, was just not surprising. And also, this is a guy who has openly said that he doesn't believe in same-sex marriage. So, of course, he's going to want to educate his kids in the way that he wants them educated, whether it's homeschooling or it's private education. So I don't understand why people are surprised about that. And I think that politicians are entitled to also have private lives and to do what they want for their family and for their children if they're not breaking any laws. And it also seemed like the payment of their school fees was something that actually is done. It just maybe that the proper procedure wasn't followed. But that just seems to me like a mess up of paperwork or a mess up of a miscommunication or mess up some sort of administrative mess up. And not his. Not like a willful, like, I'm stealing money from the CPC coffer. Like, that's not... Right. What it seemed like anyone was actually alleging. So so what do you think actually was happening? I, I think someone just like messed up the paperwork and then it was easy to point the finger at Sheer. But I mean, I don't actually know. And people just kind of seem to want an excuse to be mad and and maybe not blame the, the conservatives loss mm-hmm. um, on their crappy policies. I don't, I don't know. I'm going to I'm going to try to figure through it here as best I can. I don't know everything about this, but there, there's a lot you can kind of figure out about this. There's a context before this all happened, which was that the knives were out for Andrew Scheer amongst certain contingents in, in the Conservative Party. And there was even like this group put together with Corey Tanike and uh, Jeff Ballingall, the Ontario Proud Canada Proud guy. They were like actively putting together this like, let's get ready. They, they were on oppo talking about like, we want Scheer out. But meanwhile, Scheer still had a lot of support and you were seeing like opinion pieces like, this is all too hasty. We don't have a good replacement. And look at, you know, uh, Stephen Harper had to lose before he could win, you know, and, you know, sometimes uh, modern politics is too quick to oust these guys. And it looked like at a minimum he was going to hold on until 2020 and he was getting like, uh, you know, voices of support. And then all of a sudden that Jeff Ballingall, Corey Tonight contingent gets their way really swiftly and, and nobody really saw it coming. And what you can kind of reverse engineer is that somehow global news McLean's and the Globe and Mail all got their hands on this this tip. This info somehow came to them that he's been misallocating conservative uh, funds and, and paying for his kids' private school education. And then, you know, you can bet that once they have that information, they're going to go to Andrew Scheer for comment. And that triggered, it seems, the resignation itself. Right. Okay. So whoever leaked that information... Whether it was their design or not, oh, it, him gone? it had the effect of getting rid of him. Now, yeah. who who knows that information? Because the, the fact is, the Conservative Party is a private club, and how they deal with their finances is their own business. They're not; they don't really have to report on those types of expenses. There's hasn't, no. Hasn't this been happening for a while? I mean, I don't know because, I mean, like, we know that, like you say, moving expenses and things like that. So, what comes out is that Andrew Shear did get permission to use this money. It was part of what he negotiated with them. If you want me to come be the leader, this is something that I want you to pay for. And they said yes. And so if anyone did anything wrong, it was this uh, Dustin Van Voot, uh, who is the Conservative Party of Canada's executive director. Okay. And what happened was he got ousted by the fund, which is the fundraising arm. Who is this fund? The fund is shocked and appalled. The fund didn't know that this uh, Dustin Van Voot guy. Companies can't be shocked. They are not actually people. Well, there are people. (laughs) The people and them. Yeah. Do you know who some of those people are on the board of the fund? No. One of them is Stephen Harper. Hmm. So if I'm sounding very conspiratorial here, uh, you know, forgive me. But this is something that was echoed in, um, you know, Charles Adler was writing about this afterwards. Here's what he wrote as a commentary piece for Global News. 
There was a movement inside the conservative party led by Harper loyalists to coax Scheer into leaving earlier rather than later. That movement would not have existed without the blessing of both Harper and the most powerful person inside the party next to the leader himself, the boss of the conservative party fund, Irving Gerstein. He was left out of the loop on the deal to give Scheer a top-up to cover private school tuition. Harper, who also sits on that board, was left in the dark as well. Once it became clear to those gentlemen that the president of the party had signed off on this, they became angry with him and Scheer. So, you know, there's parts of this that we know and there's parts of this that we don't. But I think that from the public's point of view, trying to understand what's happening with the people who run, you know, the, the federal conservative party... A lot of people today probably think that Andrew Scheer left because he misspent funds on his kids' private school education. And you can almost feel sorry for him because whatever disagreements you have with his policies or his beliefs or ideals or his campaign or the people he cozies up to or anything about him, he's sort of resigning in an air of disgrace when I think that's kind of bullshit. Yeah, this is not the thing I think he should be disgraced about. <laughs> I think there's other things that he's done that are disgraceful. Not necessarily this one, especially if he was given permission. I think we found so. the most generous version of Hadia's uh, <laughs> take on this. Uh, I think departure. that's about as generous I can be. Yeah. There's something else I want to talk about, if you'll indulge me for a moment. Sure. Because amid this uh, departure is all this talk about who's going to be the new leader. And there is another potentially significant story regarding the conservative party leadership that is playing out right now in public. The National Post ran an opinion piece by Diane Francis. Basically like, who should the guy be? This should be the guy. Should it be a guy? I think it should be a woman. Not according to Diane Francis. According to Diane Francis, it should be John Baird. And she writes, Canada needs a Canadian version of Donald Trump. Oh, God, no. <laughs> Proud of the country and assertive in its advancement. And there's a big, you know, they found a really handsome picture of John Baird. And, uh, you know, they really put him forth as this very strong statesman in this piece. So, you know, these types of pieces encouraging somebody to run, you know, she's like, he hasn't even put his, his hat in the ring yet. Sometimes they can be trial balloons that are being floated on behalf of that candidate, that potential candidate. Uh, sometimes with the candidate's knowledge, sometimes like the candidate has asked for that to be written. And it's a way, when that's the case, for the candidate to see how the world might react. Like testing the waters. Test the waters, yeah, before they actually formally commit and then have to like risk losing, you know? I don't know if that's the case with this John Baird piece, but what I do know is that... Um, He's a former cabinet minister, Mr. He, Harper. He is, and the possibility that this was the first step in a John Baird conservative leadership bid, that's what an individual named Mike Gibbs thought was happening here. And uh, I'm going to talk about Mike Gibbs for a moment. He is a former political staffer who used to work for John Baird a long time ago in the summer of 2003 when John Baird was Ontario's energy minister and Mike Gibbs was a very junior staffer in that ministry. So Baird was like Mike's boss or like his boss's boss's boss. And this week, the idea that Baird is getting ready to run for conservative party leadership prompted Mike Gibbs to again go public with some very serious accusations that he had tweeted about earlier, and he re-upped them. Very serious allegations against John Baird and against Jamie Watt, who, of course, runs the crisis communications firm Navigator. But back then, Jamie Watt was uh, also working for the Provincial Conservatives. I believe he was uh, working on their upcoming campaign. Uh, Jamie Watt also columnist for the Toronto Star for some reason. Mike Gibbs made these very serious accusations about both of those guys on Twitter, and... All I'm going to say at this point 
is that they are serious allegations. They demand consideration. They demand scrutiny. And I believe they demand a response from John Baird and Jamie Watt, which I've requested and I haven't received yet. I know that a number of other media outlets have also reached out to Mike Gibbs, as I have. They want to get his full story of what happened. And uh, perhaps they are now working to verify Mike Gibbs' story, find out if it's credible. Even though his allegations are public already on Twitter, we have a responsibility to do what we can. Like We in the media, like, we got to test those allegations to see, like, if usually the story about allegations, like, it would come to a journalist and you'd spend two months seeing if they're credible. But he went public on Twitter, so it's kind of like backwards, you know? I have much more detail on this, and I'm trying to do my, my job with these details. So we got a responsibility to do what we can to test them, see if others corroborate these details. We may not be able to ultimately confirm the truth of the allegations themselves. Did Baird or Jamie Watt do these specific things that they've been accused of? But the standard will be, are these claims credible? Does anything come to our attention that proves or disproves them? And, and you know, what do John Baird and Jamie Watt have to say, uh, if anything, in response so it's like I say, it's really weird, Hadia, to be telling you this while it's happening. Right. But, uh, you know, this is already out there to Mike Gibbs, 14,000 Twitter followers. It's been retweeted like over 900 times. So probably over 100,000 people are aware of these allegations. And the question that people are asking is like, where is the media on this? Like, how can somebody, you know, make these public accusations about somebody who, who might be the next leader of the conservative party and the media is saying nothing? And I just I'm saying this now just to know, like, we're doing our best. It might take us longer than, you know, Twitter, but it's not being ignored. We're taking it very seriously. And the other reason that I'm bringing this up now is that if anyone out there knows more about this, they should get in touch with me. And getting in touch with me does not necessarily mean that we're going to use your name. That's something that we would talk about. So my email address is jesse at canadalandshow.com. And I'm working on that. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody, half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does Help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's betterhelp.com slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool. It doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer, and it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? 
Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. Hadia, it's been a minute, but you know what we do here. We do uh, we do Duly Noted. Yes, that is a thing we do. That's a thing we do. I have a quick one, and then I want to hear what you have, and then I have another one. I quickly just want to duly note that the Minister of Canadian Heritage mandate letter from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, this is what he's asked for from Heritage. He said, I want you to strengthen the regional mandate of CBC Radio Canada to broadcast more local news and require CBC Radio Canada to open up its digital platform. Hey, hooray, hallelujah. These are things that were called for years ago in the Shattered Mirror report. It was part of the only parts of that report that I agreed with. But like, of course we need CBC to be doing more local news. All of this bailout stuff where like we have a public broadcaster who, who've been divesting from local news. So yes, get Heritage to enforce this and opening up its digital platform. The CBC's digital platform, they've decided to go uh, a competitive route where it's competing with other journalists and journalistic organizations as opposed to like, creating some kind of an open commons of news content, uh, maybe under a Creative Commons license so people can build on their journalism. So uh, that's just a very welcome thing that I'm, it takes time to see like the best ideas sort of get like, a lot of stuff happens not because anyone decided against them, but because they just like aren't that informed sometimes on their own files, but they seem to have gotten the message and now CBC is getting the message and then maybe five years from now they'll do something about it. Duly noted. What do you got? So Nestle. Okay. Water is the future, you know, in our soon-to-be climate apocalyptic future, water is going to be the currency. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't understand why we have such a fuss over gold and diamonds. Those are just shiny rocks that people put on their fingers and they literally mean nothing. Water is life. Kevin Costner was right. And why are we not talking more about Nestle taking a whole bunch of water from us for pennies and the fact that... Our reporting often goes into a hullabaloo when white people don't have access to water, completely ignoring the fact that there are several First Nation communities that have not had water for years and years and years. Several meaning dozens or probably still hundreds? At yeah, this point? yeah, like an insane number. Yeah. You know, we live in one of the most well-developed nations in the world. There's no excuse for someone not being able to have water. And the fact that Clearly, systemic racism plays a part in who's having, who gets the water and who doesn't. Um, but the Star had a, a recent um, piece on Nestle and taking some water from from a largely white community. Mm-hmm. A big investigation, and I just want to see a lot more attention given to the First Nation water crisis. It's a crisis. It really is a crisis. Yeah, you cannot live without water. I think you're spot on, and I think that Canada being in possession of you know the Great Lakes and the, the amount of freshwater reserves, it's going to become an increasingly precious reserve and a politically... Weaponized, yeah. important. So, I mean, the U.S. is completely going to invade us and steal our water. Like, we have 10% of the world's fresh water, and we have a population the size of California. Like, we should be locking this shit down and making sure nobody can come after it and making sure that everybody in our country has access to it. So... I would like to see much better water reporting and actually fixing the problem. Duly noted. I would like to duly note that having done a bunch of paid speaking for the Canadian Association of Petroleum Producers, Peter Mansbridge has a new upcoming gig. He will be speaking on Earth Day, an evening with Peter Mansbridge on the climate crisis. Savvy pivot from the bridge. Duly noted. 
So this in the parliamentary concept is considered to be a ministerial suite by the liberals. And when they, they get first crack at office space, they have asked for it. But Jody Wilson-Raybould is refusing to leave. She says she wants to stay. She was told last week that she has to leave. Uh, she is refusing. She's been dealing with the speaker's office, which manages all of this, to try to figure out what they can do. And so we, we spoke with Jody Wilson-Raybould today, our colleague Jorge Barrera, who works with CBC's Indigenous Unit. Uh, he reached her by phone, and, and this is what Jody Wilson-Raybould had to say. So I had indicated to the speaker's office, tell the government that it's not vacant. And um, I mean, there are available offices, available MP offices, um, alternative ones. So I'm not trying to um, prevent somebody from having or being out in the cold without an office. I'm just trying to find a reasonable solution. I just want to stay in my office, which I had blessed by an elder and felt comfortable there. So, Hadia, this is like one of these stories that got a lot of interest, though it's about, you know, a pretty granular aspect of the inner workings of Ottawa. It seemed to touch a nerve. And the story about Jody Wilson-Raybould that we were told, I think to summarize it fairly, you know, we were told that essentially she has been handed an eviction notice and has decided to squat, uh, that she's just refusing to leave in the face of this uh, of this directive. And why? Basically, I think the response many people had is because she's acting like like a big baby, that she feels entitled to this this space, which is described as this like, you know, it's a ministerial suite. It's got like a private bathroom like, you know, she's not a minister anymore. So she, you know, looks like she feels very entitled, someone who feels that she doesn't have to play by the same rules as everybody else. And even worse, we're told by the CBC, she's like playing the indigenous card and she's playing it hard. They go on, and in the written version, there's like seven paragraphs about how, you know, she had an elder come and bless the office. They did a smudging ceremony. And, uh, you know, she thinks that that's something that's somehow like a marble in her favor for keeping this office. Like, you know, maybe she thinks that's going to score sympathy points with the woke crowd and she's going to embarrass the government into keeping the office. And I think a lot of people, there was just like overwhelming response to this, very angry response to this. People saying, well, tough shit, Jody. You know, you're not special. You made your bed. You're an independent now. Now you're going to have to shut up and, and, and lie in it. It's a very ugly response to this story. And I'll admit, when I first read this story, I kind of rolled my eyes. I'm like, really? Is she really doing this? And, you know, there was a follow-up story the CBC reported that was like the headline said that uh, if she continues to refuse, the Speaker of the House is going to evict her. Like he's threatening to evict her. Like, and you know, that conjures up this image. Like she's like occupying this office and he's going to come in and boot her out. Like, you know, kind of conjures up an image of like by, with, with force. It's a very, I don't know, like evocative and emotionally triggering loaded story that got, got a lot of people saying a lot of very angry things. I think that's a crude but accurate summary of what played out last week. Yes, I believe that is true. What did you make of this story? Why is this a story? This is basically like administrative moving nonsense. Who cares? I don't care. And first of all, it doesn't seem like it's entirely accurate either. As I understand, she was asked to move and she's just sent a few like some follow up emails trying to figure out where she's going to move to. She's not going to immediately dump all her stuff in the hall until it's sorted out as to where she's going. Like switching is not a process that happens overnight. You yeah. know, I've been in an office building where people switching offices took a long time and coordination and process and trying to figure out what was happening. There's moving pieces when you move. So I don't understand the big fuss. Mm -hmm. She's going to leave her office. She's just trying to figure out which office she's going into. Also, 
Why is this a news story? I'm more concerned with what are the policies of liberal government? What is actually happening with governance and governing in our country? Not this person hasn't left her office yet. Well, I disagree with a part of that, which is that if this story is accurate and she's refusing, you know, a member of parliament is refusing to leave her office and is getting into this conflict where she's going to get evicted. That's news. Okay, it might not be the most important policy point, but if that's happening, it's news. But is it happening? Well, we don't actually know. Well, and also it seems like it's like this is the way things are done, not that there's actually any official process or procedure. Like you're supposed to leave your office if you're no longer a minister. Yeah. But that's just because like that's the way we do things from what I got from one of the articles. Not that there's actually a policy that says when you no longer become a minister, you must vacate and switch to X. Like if that exists, then she is being a baby. But if it doesn't. Yes. What just... The way we've always done things is not a good reason. I think that's one of the main questions that I was asking in the face of this was, is this a question of her not observing tradition or is this a case of her not observing like actual policy policy? And And there is both written policy and there is tradition. But before we even get there, I kind of approached this like after I had that initial eye rolling, like, come on, Jody, what are you doing? I just was like, this story is too perfect. It's too triggering of her vulnerabilities, which is like she emerged from the SNC-Lavalin story, I think with like a, a lot of moral authority. She was vindicated by the ethics commissioner. And that recording that people are so angry about, it proves they determined, you know, a third party determined that the Trudeau government was putting undue pressure on her and they were they were breaking the rules. And then she wins her seat as an independent. So she's in this very powerful position to be a very forceful critic of the Trudeau government. But what do people who hate her hate her for for not knowing her place, for not being a team player, for thinking the rules don't apply to her, for being uppity, you know, like for being ungrateful for what Trudeau has given her. And this story hits all of those buttons so hard. And when when a story hits those buttons so hard, this just messed so nicely with like those cliches and, and that kind of characterization of Jody Wilson-Raybould. Yeah, it really ties into the trope of the angry black woman and the angry indigenous woman, you know, that. We can't feel our feelings and anything we do must be us be raging and being mad. And we can't just be asking questions. If we ask a question, we're seen as kind of demanding or being outspoken. I once read on Twitter about this woman who received an email from another coworker and her response was, thanks, I'll let you know when I'm done. And she was a black woman. Mm-hmm. She got called into her manager's office to talk about her tone in the email and she was like, well, please tell me how I could improve the tone of this email. Because she didn't put an exclamation mark and smileys and, and those kinds of things. Well, it's everything about how that tone was interpreted. And, you know, it actually is a wildly offensive uh, conclusion to draw with Jody Wilson-Raybould, who, of course, was the highest ranking government lawyer. She was the attorney general. So the idea that she just sort of like has a fit of emotion and just like, you know, complains or says things or just acts in this irrational way. She's probably just lawyering. She's a lawyer. She's lawyering. She's asking questions. Yeah. And trying to compromise and trying to negotiate. This is a very lawyerly thing to do. It's a human thing to do. It's um, a professional thing to do. Yeah. Like, okay, like I'd like to, you know, look at this list and, and reflect about where I'd like to move. And then the story comes out. I didn't do any kind of independent investigation where I'm like calling her up. Like I, I approached this one on the level of textual analysis, media criticism. Like, let me just look at these stories themselves and see what's going on here. And to the question of accuracy, the headline was she's refusing to leave. And as you say, Hadia, that's not actually in the story. 
Also, am I allowed to swear on this program? Oh, yes. Like, she has zero fucks to give. She can do whatever she wants, right? She's like, I'm not going to move because of your bullshit, like, protocol. You know, like, if it's not a written policy, I'm a lawyer. Tell me why I have to move. I could see that happening. Sure. But the truth is, we're not even there yet where she's, like, um, saying, I'm not going to move because that's not actually in the story. But I think she's probably saying, like, show me the rules that tell me, like, no one's telling me what I'm actually supposed to do. What are actually the rules governing the situation? As a lawyer, I know if this was me, I'd be like, yeah, show me the paper. like Show me the receipts and I'll I'll move. But if not, like, why do I have to leave my office? Yeah. And, and, And that seems to be, I've just tried to put together, like, a timeline of, like, what we know for sure, as opposed to the word refusal, which is CBC's word. Like, Jody Wilson-Raybould never said, I'm refusing. And no. nor in the story was it ever just simply put to her. So let me get this straight, Jody. Are you refusing? She's not asked that question. So what we know is that on December 5th, she gets this, like, notice that she's got to go. We don't know anything about what kind of timeline they give her, you know. They let her keep the suite through the period where she had, like, left caucus and left Liberal Party. So she's been in there, and now they're saying you got to go. And Why I think didn't she have to go before? Right, because it would look really bad if they kicked her out during all of that. It would look petty, and you know that's just that's my but opinion. Doesn't it here. look petty now? Well, they've they've they somebody has effectively twisted it, so she looks super petty, right? So, but what actually happened is she gets this notice on the fifth, and what she does is she doesn't say hell no, I'm not going. She says, "Can you show me where it's written that I have to go?" And also, can we talk about possible other? Uh, Options. Accommodations. Yeah. She offers a compromise, right? So, like, exactly a week goes by, and we don't know. Did they give her one day to go, or did they give her a month? We don't know. On the 12th, they say, no, there's no compromise. Here is a list of other offices you can have. And then she says, while she's reviewing this list of options, this story comes out saying that she's refusing to go. Now, maybe things happen that I'm... I only know what's in the stories, you know? Maybe she did tell the CBC reporter, yes, I'm refusing, and they just left that out for some reason. But the... That the, seems like a pretty big omission if she actually said, I'm not leaving, and they didn't put it in the story where it, they talk really about her does. not leaving. It so. really does. And and then this whole thing about, like, it's clear that she didn't want to go. It's clear that, you know, and, and then this whole focus on that she had this ceremony with an elder, like, that's fine. But in a way that they were, they were trying to symbolically pit... The traditions of Canada. Yeah, that she's using her indigeneity versus to... her traditions. And you know, yeah. sorry, lady, but one of the, one set of traditions matters and one doesn't. The second story is no less problematic. The second story's headline, which is like, you know, really like taking this up a notch. New speaker says he'll evict Wilson Raybould if she doesn't leave willingly. Again, he doesn't say that. In fact, what he says is in response to a question that Vashi Capellos asks him. It's a hypothetical question. If she refuses, what will happen then? And here's what he says. I mean, obviously, we have a process in place. There's a tradition in place. Eventually, yeah, if she doesn't, uh, it'll be someone from my office who has to enforce the rules so the parliament can function. Now, you could have asked him that about anyone. You could say, hey, if Justin Trudeau was asked to vacate his office and refused. What would you do? Yeah, like, and then run a headline saying, oh, he's threatening to evict Justin Trudeau. I mean, it feels like this is a story that, like, exists because journalists decided that there should be a story. And, you know, Evan Solomon tweeted that uh, he's hearing from his sources that she was baffled. Jody Wilson-Raybould was baffled to learn that she's refusing. She didn't know that she was refusing. She, in fact, kind of gives information to the contrary. She's saying, I was in the process of reviewing a list of offices when these news stories broke. So she was, if you're in the process of reviewing a list of other offices. You're not refusing. You're not refusing to leave your office. Yeah. There are media voices who are kind of closing ranks against Jody Wilson-Raybould. Uh, a tweet from Susan Delacorte. 
just for your information, Justin Trudeau was kicked to a much smaller office when the liberals went to third party status in 2011. I don't recall him complaining about it. And I need to point this out, Hadia. This all happened on the Friday before a Monday verdict was delivered in the trial of a former SNC-Lavalin executive. And on that Monday, that executive was found guilty. And a lot more people heard about Jody Wilson-Raybould refusing to leave her office than about heard that, about or talked about this that uh, verdict. That verdict, yeah. right? Charlie Angus gives some more context about the culture of Ottawa. He says, the Jody Wilson-Raybould saga is shining a light into Ottawa's petty pecking order vendetta system of office allocation. After election, kicking people out of their offices is how political scores are settled. As one who has been evicted, I say to Jody, you go, girl. I think there's a lot more to this, and I think that people should be very wary of the impact. Like, How does this uh, leave Jody Wilson-Raybould and that moral authority that I described earlier? Like, It's really damaged by this. Like, I think that it, it compromises that uh, bully pulpit she had. She doesn't have that much power as an independent MP, but she had a lot of moral authority you know, from which to, to criticize Justin Trudeau, and now perhaps she has less so. It's kind of funny now. I'm on the CBC website on the Jody Wilson follow-up story, and third on their popular now is SNC-Lavalin pleads guilty to fraud in connection with the work in Libya. Yeah, that's number three. You know, the first CBC story was quoting anonymous liberal sources against Raybould. This story is... I don't buy it's into weird. the I don't buy into the CBC is just Trudeau's mouthpiece like that narrative on a day to day basis. I feel like I, I know that's not how it works, but like this couldn't have been written better by Trudeau's communications people. Like it's not passing your smell test. No, no. I mean, I welcome clarification from the journalists, you know, from David Cochran and like you know, if, if they, I've been talking about this on Twitter and I keep waiting for them to say like, look, let me clarify this for you. Here is the tape where she says, yes, I am refusing. You know, and it hasn't come. Maybe it doesn't exist. Hadia, that's your Candleland Shortcuts. Thanks for having me. Thanks for doing it. Uh, I'm not mad at you anymore. I'm a little bit mad at you, but not really. <laughs> you know, I'm still mad at me. Everybody, you can email me at jesse at com. I read everything that you send. We're on Twitter at Candleland. Hadia, where can people find you? They can also find me on Twitter at Hadia Rodrique. Spell that for the people. H-A-D-I-Y-A-R-O-D-E-R-I-Q-U-E. It's a mouthful. It's not that hard. I know, but... Yeah, they'll find you. Our website is canadalandshow.com, and uh, that is where you can find an episode of Oppo this week, and uh, that is where you can find our news reporting, which you should read. There's some interesting stories up there. This episode is produced by David Crosby. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do, if you would like to receive ad-free versions of all of our podcasts or give somebody else ad-free versions of all of our podcasts for the holidays, you can do that at patreon.com slash CanadaLand. A couple of years ago, a cop was shot dead on a deserted pier in the tiny nation of Belize. The only other person there that night was a frightened young woman found covered in blood. By all appearances, it was an open and shut case. But not in Belize, where this woman was connected to a mysterious billionaire who basically runs the place. Justice will not be served in this case. She's going to get away with it. Or will she? White Devil, a Campside Media original. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.